0: you're listening listening to hold that thought
1: from arts and sciences at washington university in st louis faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to leap
0: tall buildings at a single bound look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Rebecca King, and this week we're continuing our discussion of superheroes with Dr. Peter Coogan, who is the founder and director of internal operations at the Institute for Comic Studies and the co-founder of the Comic Arts Conference. Today, we're diving into the wider superhero genre and considering how both the heroes and the genre have changed over time. As we discussed last episode, superheroes were created as a reaction to modernism, rooted in the American culture of the 1930s that created them. And we also compared these heroes to heroes of old, like Achilles and Hercules. So does this mean that our superheroes like Batman and Captain America, are part of a modern mythology?
1: Yes, but only in the sense that all genre is myth. Genre is the way we, as a contemporary society, tell the stories to ourselves about ourselves that convey what our culture is. So all genres, superheroes are no more modern mythology than detective stories they are no more modern mythology than sports. There are no more modern mythology than romantic comedies.
0: So, how are genres created? And how did superheroes become a genre? The
1: thing about genre is imitation and repetition. So somebody can make a great novel or a great movie or something like that. But if other people in the industry don't pick up on that and imitate it and repeat it, it's not a genre. It's just a one-off, maybe it's a great product. Early on in the genre, there was an imitation called Wonder Man, and it's because they made an imitation Superman, and that really was just a knockoff of Superman. But then at DC, the editors came to Bob Kane and said, "Make us another superhero," and he came up with Batman. And Batman, just like Superman, has mission, powers, and identity, but he's not a knockoff of Superman. The Wonder Man character was a radio reporter, <laughs> and he had he could fly, and he had super strength. It was a direct Superman knockoff. Batman is in many ways the opposite of Superman, but they're both superheroes. Superman created the superhero figure. Batman created the superhero genre.
0: And as a genre, there are many voices contributing to its shaping and creation. The writers, artists, owners, and even the fans help shape the genre. Consider the public's reaction to Stan Lee when he first created the Fantastic Four and refused to put them in a costume.
1: Stanley says, I wouldn't wear a costume, I'd just wear my ordinary clothing. And I wouldn't have a secret identity. I would want everybody to know who I was. But what's interesting is by the third issue, he says, you know, people wrote in, Fantastic Four is great, we love it, we'll keep buying it. But if you don't put them in costumes, it's over. So that's the thing about genre. Genres is this push and pull between the owners, the creators, and the audience. And they all have this conversation together. And so it changes as... As the audience changes, it changes as the creators change, and it changes as ownership changes.
0: So, genres are not static creations. The superheroes we have today have evolved greatly since they were first conceived. From the black and white world of the 1940s Superman, who fought Nazis and saved Lois Lane, to Alan Moore's antihero, Rorschach and Watchmen. Where the line between hero and villain is so blurred, it's hard to distinguish between the two. So how did we get from one to the other?
1: Well, genre has a cycle. It maps perfectly onto a superhero. So it starts out in the experimental stage where they're trying to figure stuff out. And that's the golden age. And then comes the classic stage, and that's when both the audience and the creators, they know what it is, and that's the Silver Age. Basically, the Golden Age goes up to about 1956, Silver Age, 1956 to 1970. Then, you know, with genre, basically the creators propose and the audience disposes. So if the audience doesn't respond, they have to change it. So that's why you get evolution. And basically what happens with the evolution of the genre is it becomes more complicated. So they go in and start exploring things. They they make it psychologically complicated. That's what happens in the refinement stage, which is the Bronze Age in the 1970s, is that things got a little more complicated. Captain America quit being Captain America for a while because in response to Watergate, he could no longer respond to constructed authority. Well, that's different from the Captain America of the 1940s, who's anti-Nazi, and the Captain America of the 1950s, who's anti-communist. But that's because you had creators who were in their 20s who were responding to this. Then the Baroque stage comes up. And in the Baroque stage, the stories ceased to be about social things. So in the 1940s you have the Nazis being fought by superheroes because you have democracy versus fascism. It's direct. But in the 1980s it stops being superhero comic books and starts being comic books about superheroes. So they've explored and worked through things and in the Baroque stage it breaks down. This
0: breakdown is not unique to the superhero genre. As Dr. Coogan indicated, all genres go through these growing pains.
1: So this happened in westerns. Hi-yo, Silver! A fiery horse with the speed of
0: light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty "Hiyo Silver," the Lone Ranger.
1: And this is when you get parody, especially, because parody is a sign that the audience and the creators, we all understand it. But it's also time for it to be ridiculed, because it's not real anymore. And so with Westerns, Blazing Saddles broke the way—you couldn't have a a Western in the 1970s, except for the sort of Vietnam Westerns, because then they had a social message. But just a straight-up Western, you couldn't do that anymore. It had been pointed out as ridiculous.
0: So then, how did the superhero genre break down? What was the superhero genre's weakest point? Well, it was the psychology of the superhero.
1: So in the 1980s, essentially the whole mission convention broke down because superheroes, once you start getting to the psychology of them, they don't make a lot of sense. Who would put on a costume? Well, somebody with real problems. You know, the idea of putting on a costume and going out and doing something, that's not something a healthy person will do. So you get Rorschach is, Rorschach is Alan Moore saying to superhero fans, look, the only kind of person who would be driven like this is really damaged and is not a checkbook limousine liberal like Bruce Wayne, but is this really damaged sociopath who doesn't care about, you know, his hygiene, doesn't care about other people, can't have a normal relationship. And Bruce Wayne would actually be like that. You would not want to date Bruce Wayne. Even Superman, if you were really that powerful, most people at some point say, I'm not letting you do this anymore. I'm taking over. That's the, the classic story of the science fiction Superman. He just takes over and then is hated. So you got people who grew up reading comic books who were so soaked in the medium, because Alan Moore grew up reading superhero comic books, that they were able to explore the contradictions and the problems And the psychology of the superhero is a contradiction and a problem. And that's where the anti-hero came from.
0: Though Alan Moore meant to destroy the superhero genre with his anti-heroes in Watchmen, he actually ended up adding to the genre itself.
1: And Alan Moore did it so well, and people responded to it so much that imitation and repetition, so the Punisher, Wolverine, you've got the grim and gritty guy with a gun, because it fulfilled something in the part of the audience. And one of the things it fulfilled is that period in the 80s was the period of the worst crime in history, right? In America, crime was at its worst. And so these dark vigilante heroes also responded to the needs of people who felt powerless because crime. And what happens if you feel powerless because of crime? You become a superhero, right? With the ordinary authorities break down, the superheroes is response to that. It's a fantasy response. And then what's interesting is In the 90s, you got this rebuilding, the reconstruction stage is the next stage, which I call the Renaissance Age, and it's where they rebuild the conventions to make them work again. So creators like Kurt Busiak and Alex Ross, DC had a whole series of event comics, Final Night, where it was essentially just, we're going to show how these people can be heroes again.
0: This evolution of characters over the last 70 or so years brings up its own problems. If someone were going to make a Pride and Prejudice movie, for example, they have one source text to consider. It's easy for viewers to judge the fidelity of the product against its source. But for superheroes, it's just not that simple. Superhero movies might draw on particular story arcs, but there is no one text to judge them against. Batman, for instance, has appeared in dozens of comics titles, movies, cartoons, and TV shows. And none of these characters, or iterations, are exactly the same. However, according to Dr. Coogan, all of these iterations are valid.
1: The Batman, the early Batman from the first year, is Batman. The Batman with Robin is Batman. The science fiction Batman of the 1950s is Batman. The television show with Adam West, that is Batman. The kind of Dark Knight detective that was brought in in the 1970s, that's Batman. The movie version with Michael Keaton, the movie version with George Clooney, those are all equally Batman. There's not one that you can say is more Batman. You can say it's better. You would absolutely say it's better. You can say it's truer. There's this thing called resonant tropes that develop over time. And these are things that resonate with the characters, resonate with the creators, resonate with the audiences.
0: For example, one resonant trope, if we stick with Batman, is how the robber Joe Chill demanded Mrs. Wayne's pearls before he murdered her. This moment had been present since Batman's creation, but subsequent creators, like Frank Miller and Alan Moore, made the emotional resonance of that scene even more powerful. But because superheroes represent something more than themselves, because of their identity and the iconic costume, the person who wears it and the details of their life are malleable.
1: You can put anybody in the suit and that way it's still the character, even if you change the identity. So Jay Garrick is The Flash in the 1940s, Barry Allen in the 1960s, Wally West in the 1980s. Bart Allen takes on The Flash. But then you go back to Barry Allen because, oh, he was dead, but he comes back alive. You know, Green Lantern was originally Alan Scott. But then they brought in Green Lantern in the 60s with this intergalactic police force. But then on the Justice League cartoon, Jon Stewart, the black Green Lantern. But it all is Green Lantern. You can have a Clark Kent who doesn't grow up to be Superman. You can have a Superman who was never Superboy. You can have a Superman who's not born on Krypton. You can have a Superman who's not any of these people. So the question is, the good or bad comes to how well do they use the resonant tropes? How well do they take the ideas that are inherent in the character and bring them out and remain true to that? There's an article about why... Iron Man succeeded in Green Lantern didn't and it argues essentially, it was trying to be too true to the comic book. they were trying to keep all the furniture in there, but they kind of lost the spirit. Whereas the Iron Man, they got the idea of the Tony Stark Iron Man relationship. And they went with that, even though they changed a lot of the details. Every movie version, even the terrible ones, are still valid, but they may be bad.
0: Superhero movies and the superhero genre have enjoyed a recent surge in popularity. But why now? What is so appealing about the superhero genre to this audience? Well, Dr. Coogan says it goes back to what the superhero mythically represents. The superhero is rooted in and reflective of America's modern mythology.
1: Well, they're well-made action movies, there's that. The other thing is that the superhero mythically represents America. And it has for a long time. The superhero's been tied to America. Superman with the flag, Captain America himself. But what happened is the Cold War was a Western. So you had two ideologically opposing societies in a twilight struggle with each other that was gonna end in an apocalypse. That is the story of a Western. You have Indians and Americans. You reds and whites. And containment, Truman's theory of containment was to keep the Reds on the reservation. So the Western and the Cold War fit together. That's why the Western was very popular during the Cold War. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, fall of the Soviet Union, what you got was rather than being in a Western, we were now in a superhero story. So Colin Powell's doctrine to replace the Truman Doctrine was basically you fly in, you take out the bad guy. We didn't go to war with Panama. We went in to get a supervillain, Noriega. We didn't go to war against Iraq. We went in to get a supervillain, Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden actually is a supervillain. But that's the thing is we weren't at war with Afghanistan. We went in to save Afghanistan. We went in to redeem the captive land, that story, because there's a supervillain in there. The fact is right now the superhero genre for Americans kind of fits our place in the world. America, the sole superpower, right? And actually that happened with, Afghanistan, George Bush responded in a superheroic mode. The bad guys came in, it's us versus them. And if he had stopped in Afghanistan going and getting a supervillain, I think he actually would have had a much better presidency. But what he did was he got proactive and he went and started another fight, not reactive. And it fell apart, just as it does when any superhero goes proactive. Osmandius in Watchmen, it happened to Iron Man in the 1990s. There was a dark Justice League story where. And they went out and they were trying to beat criminals before they were criminals, right? Before they did anything, trying to get out. And in every one of these cases, the genre broke down. That's why the superhero needs the supervillain. But superheroes basically represent America's geopolitical situation. The superhero originally came up because people were struggling with modernism. How do we deal with the loss of individuality, the loss of the old rugged frontier? How do the frontier's closed. How do we maintain ourselves as Americans and all that? What do we do with that? Well, the superhero genre, again, a mythic genre, it helps us to process through that.
0: This wraps up our two-part special on superheroes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope that from now on you'll consider the superhero as more than just a man in a mask. And many thanks to Dr. Peter Coogan for meeting with us Again, if you're interested in reading more about his work, check out his book, Superhero, The Secret Origin of a Genre, and the anthology, What is a Superhero? As always, you can find Hold That Thought at holdthatthought.wustl.edu. That's holdthatthought.wustl.edu.